there was a, a set of research done oh, 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, in Europe about churches around the world. And I'm sorry for life me, I can't remember the name of it, but it has this great illustration which I use all the time. Uh, but it, what it observed was that growing churches were almost always pastored by non-theologically trained ministers. And churches that were plateauing or declining were pastored by theologically, formerly theologically educated pastors. So the conclusion is? It's exactly right. If you want to grow churches, don't send people to college. Now, is that the conclusion you want to draw? Do you see the problem? Now, now one of the st- I'm going to come back to that material in a second, but I do want to say... You've got to do your thinking about church, church life, church planting, grow, all that kind of thing, not from humanity's experience in, but from God and his word out. Yeah. Now, humanity and our experiences in has a place, but it's got to be within a rigorous and strongly biblical framework. Now, so where do you start? You start with the scriptures. And when you go to the scriptures, what you find at the heart of the scriptures is... Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And, and a little bit more. Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the gospel. It's the news and declaration of the Lordship of Christ. That's what you find at the heart of the Bible, yeah? Uh, the, the, the God who sends his son to make it possible for people condemned righteously to hell to eternal separation, have now the means of forgiveness and restoration and cleansing and acceptance again by faith alone, back with God. There's the message of the Bible. Now, we are going to talk pragmatics. I want to talk some pragmatics with you. Uh, But the key to church planting, the key to church planting is the gospel in the hands of leaders who get it. Key to church planting is the gospel in the hands of leaders who get it. Don't think the key to planting is some program or some right way to do it. It is far more the case that under God, the key to planting is you, the planter, with the gospel, getting it. Now, that's not going to sell a lot of books. But that's been God's way. You and who you are is massive. It's the visibility of the gospel in your life that has the true power to draw and change. You think of the early church. What is it that drew drew each of us to the Bible? It's, It's the New Testament authors who exude this this vision of life that is totally transformed with this excitement and amazement about who God is and what he's done. Isn't that kind of the sense of it? And as you kind of enter into the world of Paul and see what he's, it's captured him, it's the risen Lord Jesus that's transformed him, you see. You know, people, when they see that, are drawn to it, sociologically, psychologically, and I take it spiritually because when they see the gospel alive in a person, transforming a person, the spirit takes... There's kind of a resonance that happens. I don't know. There's this, we're drawn to it. Um, we're starting a new church plant 20 minutes south of us. And um, one of the guys who started that plant was talking about how should I spend my time in the core group meetings? Now, that's a good practical question. Should we talk about you know, strategies and plans and what we're doing and so on and so forth? The key for mine is not to think about your core group meetings with strategy and planning as the key. That's not what you meet together for as core group meetings. What you meet together to do is share your passion for Christ and open the scriptures that people are enlivened by the word that brings them life. Ah, we've got to do some planning. Do you see the difference? Yeah, you get to your planning. 
But you do it in the context of, oh, we've got to do this stuff as well. <laughs> do you know? It, 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 um, now, even when you, you run management events, uh, you've got to keep considering... So, you know, we run church council where we manage property and finance. But do you know what we spend the first 40... We spend the first 20 minutes that turns into 45 minutes every week, every time we meet? Read the Bible and pray. And we just can't get away. We, we, you know, we keep going, I've got to, let's cut this. We've got to get back to what we're here for, do you see? Um, you, you know, if you, if you set the culture of a church plant in every occasion you meet from the earliest occasions, and, and people who come get this sense that what they're coming to is this, this new world experience, then that will transform your community into one that becomes very, very attractive. Now, of course, the key here is not to go, oh, good, I've got to learn that the new way to manage church is to make sure I do the Bible and do... No, 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 all you're doing is adding it on. If it's part of who you are, it'll work. But if it's just something you've learned as the technique, people will work it out. And I do hear it. And it shows up in subtle things you do. See, what is the thing that you drop in a meeting when you're too busy? Now, if you're someone who's gripped by the word as a living voice of God in the person of Christ, you'll drop discussion on the $100,000 deficit you've got or something before you drop the Bible passage, do you see? Um, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, it's, it's the way you talk about the word and Jesus. It's where your energy levels rise. You know, what is, it, is management and leadership structure and the whole your way you organise, is that the thing that gets your kind of heart racing and you start to become enthusiastic? People will catch what you really are about, do you say? And the key to our work is the spiritual work and your spiritual life there is always critical. Your passion for Jesus, the change that's happening in you, the vision that you have for eternity, heaven and hell, these things are the things that will make a difference. And one of the things I was so pleased about early on was that, you know, we had lots of debates and arguments and fights as, as a community as we were coming together. I told you a bit about our group. But I heard through the grapevine that one of the guys who was something of a, a difficult man in our group, he said, gee, it's, the thing that really gets Andrew fired up is the gospel, isn't it? Now that for mine was really thrilling, did you see? And it, and it helped me realise again that you're visible. Who you are is transparent. Now, what this means is uh, you need a clear vision for planting, but that vision's got to be lived by you. And so, yeah, vision statements have their place. And I think particularly they're important if, if you're not clear and confident yourself about what you're about. Start writing things down to articulate yourself what you mean and think and get someone to help you sharpen that up. But the clearer and sharper you are, the less you'll need them because they'll be everywhere all the time in what you do. They'll just exude. Um, they'll ooze out of you. So you've got to plant with this DNA. Um, and that, can I just add to, do not start church plants to simply provide an evangelical reformed witness in an area that hasn't got it. That is not a sufficient reason to plant a church. It's a negative reason to plant a church. Plant a church to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus to his glory. Which means... You've got to plant with a reformed evangelical framework because that is the purest gospel. Do you see? But, but you've got to get that around the right way. Um, gospel power is the key. Now, now, let me spin that out a little bit coming to this now. Do you see? So, thank you for the question. Um, you don't underestimate, therefore, the need to take people deeper. And here's where I, I take it Bible and pragmatics intersect some, some degree. The, the statistics that we saw there indicated that, do you remember that, that kind of funny chart? The, it indicated that Sydney Anglicans, as we all look at them <laughs> from a distance, Sydney Anglicans, uh, there was a huge, what, 30, 40% of people had spiritual growth. Yeah, you can get back to it, please. What, what you find here is when there's an increase of 10% in annual growth, that's what the chart looks like. A lot more spiritual growth. Okay? Now, I want to suggest to you what's going on there is 
that where growth and change spiritually is happening amongst a group who have come around the word, that is inherently attractive. And more than that, it's empowering to the people in that community to want others to come and share in that community. You can do all the teaching you like about the oughts of evangelism and you'll get a number of hardcore people who will step up to the plate. But you won't get the gossip moment happen. You won't get people who want to tell their friends and are looking for ways, oh, you ought to come to my church. Now, why are they going to do that? Because their lives are being transformed by it and they're excited about the work of Christ and they don't need to be told to share the gospel, <laughs> do you see? Now, when you add the two things together, of course, the ought as well as the internal, inherent love, it's a powerful mix. Um, so God's intention is this kind of transformed community that people are excited to bring their friends. Um, so appreciate, therefore, the need to take people deeper. That change doesn't happen with light ministries. You, you know, um, we started... We started, so 1996, about four years before we started, there was another ministry that uh, was a small church of about 50 people and it had a new young guy come to it. I guess he was a few years younger than me and uh, he had a big growth vision for the church and he put it out there that his church under God was going to be 3,000 people, a big regional centre and so on. And they went the seeker service kind of light church so this last Easter, people from our church, 15-minute sermons, that kind of context. On those kind of context, I'm still preaching 40 minutes. All right? um, he went the light style. Now, we, went, we started with this, no, we're going to change lives with big things, with huge things. To come to this place is to see the place of the centrality of the scriptures, it's God's voice. We spend time over that because this is an opportunity to have God speak to us in the word. We spend time over it. We want to help you see the riches of God in his word, be excited and transformed by it. We push people hard in sermons, in groups, in theological courses. We did hot topic nights. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We didn't do it all right, and it wasn't textbook, syntax, grammar stuff. You know, we worked hard to make it engaging, uh, all the rest. But there was this tug of war in the early years so that we had a number of people who came to us uh, drifting sort of transfer growth, they came to us and, and they would make comments like, oh, it's, it's just a bit, you know, it's a bit too heavy. And so they drift to this other church. And, uh, you know, the kids, they found it a bit hard at church at night and so on, and so they drifted to this other church. There was a lot of pressure on me to lighten down what we were doing. And now I had to be careful. I had to engage with the critique and see, was it that I'm being too hard, too harsh, uh, boring, irrelevant? I had to do all of that critique and analysis. But do it in the framework of not dumb down, keep pushing deep. I had to do all that kind of stuff. Um, but what happened was, gee, what is it? so we arrived, they'd been going about four years. For the first five years, we had a lot of people transfer in and transfer out. That is really hard when you've only got 50 people. Okay, really tough. Uh, and a lot of core people were distressed by it. Um, but then after about eight years, so a long time, into our church plant, it flipped. What we found was that people in our church have actually, had actually started to capture the power of the scriptures in their lives and were becoming infectious. We had a lady, uh, I remember one of our core couples said, what, we're having a sermon on Mark's Gospel and we're doing a Bible study on Mark's Gospel midweek? That's too much Bible. Just have, a, just have a sermon and let's do a discussion group in the small group, prayer and share time. Two years later, she came to my wife and said, I love this Bible stuff. Completely flipped. And so we began to get this kind of movement of people who were going, the scriptures are powerful, this is exciting, my life's being changed. My kids are bringing their Bible to church because they want to actually sit under it and so on. And then, uh, ironically, more and more we're seeing people converted. 
And the, the light service, church, has faded right back. So at Easter time, I think they had 200 people there. Um, they're not seeing people converted, ironically, although they've geared themselves to be accessible to those who aren't coming to church much. What's happened there? The power for growth in a church is by people who are captured by Christ. And they don't get captured by Christ with sermonettes. That produces Christianettes. So, so where do you pitch this thing? You've got to make a deliberate decision about it. Now we, in our context, um, we deliberately planted to create a beachhead in the region we were in uh, in a somewhat higher socioeconomic... The central coast, where we planted, was in a little bit more... The central coast is kind of, you know, it's a lot of um, service industry, a bit of manufacturing, it's got um, uh, trades, a lot of that. There are a couple of suburbs where you get more professionals. We planted there. And I did it because I wanted to create a beachhead from which we could spin off other church plants. But knowing that was the case, I deliberately pitched... um, Now, let's see if this is going to work... I deliberately pitched uh, higher, not, not right at the top, but about 80%, knowing that I wouldn't get as many people. I missed something, haven't I? This just doesn't work anymore. I have to think about it some more. I pitched higher, knowing that I would miss a number of people, uh, I, would, I would not perhaps get the majority of people. But as I preached high to a group of people, my intention was that they would draw these other people up with them. And they would become the engine for mission, leadership, discipleship, growth. And so that's effectively what's happened. If you pitch too high, you get too few in that bracket who can help you actually drive the thing forward. You pitch too low... And you've got too many people sitting there going, I've heard all this stuff before. And I'm not being taken anywhere with it. And so you actually don't develop any leadership to push on. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? Now, we didn't go 100% because I I figured this kind of group of people, they're happy to sit there going, I know it's not going to be a theological lecture every week. I get that. Um, Too low, though, you miss too many of those people. And so we've got... I had a lady sitting next... uh, I sat next to the end of church two weeks ago... She was in tears. She'd been in another church tradition and she said, um, a light kind of tradition, she said, I've been 20 years in this church tradition and it's not till I've come here that we've learned the Bible and I feel totally unequipped for life as a Christian. And she was in tears, crying about it. Now, I don't think we're the best Bible teachers in the world. Don't get me wrong. But, but what we've done is seek to give this compelling vision of you can step up, you can grow into these things and see the enormity of what God's about. Did you see? So I want to encourage you to push in that direction. And therefore, given that we want to have this, this kind of pushing and deepening ministry, you need to be deeper. You need to be deeper. You need to have had a good theological education. You need to keep reading now and keep going at it. <laughs> Don't think that a couple of years at Theological College is sufficient to last you for the rest of your days. You've got to keep reading. Um, and can I say, therefore, to build good structures for spiritual growth. Build good structures. Build them in from the beginning. Uh, you know, we, um, we worked hard. When, when we first started the church, I ran all the growth groups. So I'd be out every night running a growth group because I didn't have anyone that I could let run growth groups, right? Um, some path, some way down the track, I was working at discipling, raising up guys to do that. And we have set in place not just growth group leaders who run growth groups, but training structures to keep equipping and developing those growth group leaders because they're the key to multiplying our ministries back into the rest of the church. Now, let me ex- if you've got, you got 10 growth group leaders together, or five when you start an early church, and you had two hours with them, how would you spend two hours with them? Three things. You do some skills management. You do some team building stuff and vision for where we're going. 
But what do you want to do all the time, most of the time? Share the gospel and life together, yeah? You want to enthuse them about the things of Christ and deepen them and enrich them in the things of Christ and get them excited about the gospel and the work of the... Whether it helps them lead a group or not is irrelevant. I always look for people who were passionate about Christ or wanting to grow in Christ rather than people who are skilled and able in leading a group. Because it's infectious. It's infectious. And you can develop skills and work with those people who come along as well. The people who complain most about my preaching the length of it are transfers. Uh, People who are converted in our ministries, people who are reclaimed back into church life with us, walk away train drivers. I've got this wonderful man who was converted two years ago. He just drives trains for a living. He said to me, Andrew, I could listen to you all day, just keep going. Now, not because I'm doing anything great, but because he's hearing the gospel, I take it. Whereas school teachers who transferred from Sydney, from churches there, write emails to me saying, Andrew, you're preaching too long. What do you do with that analysis? I think what's happened is, and you might need to manage this in your own context, I think what's happened is we've got people who have been 30 years in church, they've grown tired, they're not excited about the gospel, they want to come to church to hear a 20-minute sermon that reminds them of a couple of things and so they can go back to their life again. Did you see? Whereas we've got people who are converted who are going, this is everything. You know, I put aside two hours on a week, once a week to come and hear this amazing stuff and you want to go for 20 minutes? <laughs> do you see there's that thing going on? So who do you listen to? Now, having said that, uh, there, are, there, are, yeah, there are different capacities and different abilities. And um, we've got some guys on our staff team who I do encourage to preach shorter um, and I encourage myself to keep preaching shorter. You see, because, uh, you know, I can drift out to 60 minutes and, uh, and I've got to keep pulling myself back because there is a capacity, there is a, there is a reality that people have so much they can cope with, do you see? So, yeah. So you've got to work out who you are a little bit there. Andrew, do you think the primary is the teaching and direction? I think it is a key. I wouldn't say it's the key. I'll tell you why I think it's a key. Um, Look, I, I, think, I think time doing something says something about the place of that event. Um, you know, quality time with kids versus just time spent with kids. Do you know? Um, quality time in the word rather than just time in the word. I think they're in the same categories. There is a dimension in which... It, it, if I just do a 15-minute sermon and make some three good points, I've said something about the time you ought to spend in the Word. So I don't think it's the issue. Yes, I think there are other things. You've got to be clear and say some things worth saying. But I do think time is a significant factor as well because it, it, it does say something about what we think matters. Now, of course, um, you know, I've got some history on this one. you backing me up. You've got... Uh, uh, is it Didache? Um talks about the early church experience of coming together before dawn. So he went with the early church fathers who wrote the Didache. You know, uh, talks about the early Christians coming together before dawn. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But all they did was read the apostles' letters as long as they had time. They'd sing a hymn, vow to live godly lives, and go. Church. The minister I worked with for some time, a man called Brian Telfer, who I think is an extraordinary man, he, t- he told me of years in his youth ministries where they would go away for a weekend. They wouldn't have a speaker. They'd just read the Bible together for a weekend. They'd just sit around, open the scriptures and read them. Now, what's going on there? A group of people who love the Word who just want to read the Word together. Take them a couple of hours. They just keep reading. So I get frustrated when people say to me, I want 20 minutes, 25 minutes, so I want a short, sharp sermon. I just want to spend time in the Word together. Yeah. Learn to develop your capacities. Grow up. You can watch two-hour movies. Why can't you spend 40 minutes in a sermon? Yeah. My, my do- we, have a, we have a mission that happens each January. And my daughter door-knocked. One of my daughters door-knocked an older lady who came to church. And through January, do a series on suffering, 
evidence of the Bible, that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'd preach 45, typically kind of 45 minutes. And this older lady said, it's too long, I can't, I can't sit for that long. You know, she's 80, I can't sit for that long, non-Christian lady. Now, you could say to her, if you really love the word, you'd sit, you know. But she's 80. Do I drop back preaching for an 80-year-old when you've got non-Christians, other non-Christians coming and saying, this is amazing. I've never heard this stuff before. You've got this mixed... You've always got mixed stuff, do you know? And you've, got, you've just got to, you've got to work out a line in consultation with wise people around you and work it. Work the line. Keep readjusting if need be, but work the line. Look, I think in the early days of a church plant, uh, all the indications are, and I think this is my experience too, in the early days of a church plant, the, the dynamic for growth in a church plant is almost entirely the lead preacher. It's almost entirely, not, not entirely. The thing about a church plant is it has no history and culture. So established churches, when a new person comes to an established church, one of the things that they hook into is the history of this place, the culture of this place that's established over many years. When they come to a new church, there's none of that that exists. All they connect with is the guy up the front who's preaching leading. Therefore, I think in the first years of a church plant, it makes sense for the lead, the, the lead preacher to be preaching 70 80% of the time, to be a regular face that creates the tone so that someone who's coming has confidence it's the same. Uh, it's not chopping and changing. Like, who, do I, who am I going to get this week? Will it be the guy that I want my friend to? You know, I've connected with you. I want my friend to connect to you. In the early years, you need to actually trade on that. And then you can pull back. There's no rule, but there's my experience. Yeah. Ministers do... People who come to church do connect with the person. Now, I think as a church gets older, its maturity is dependent on that person pulling back. But in the early days, you need to trade on it for sticking power, I think. Yeah. You've got three or four church plants styles you can go. You can go to the parachute, just land in with nothing and no one. Uh, you can do the, the, the split, or the kind of budding off from a mother uh, church plant. You can uh, do the core group that's beginning to form in a region and calls someone to be the planter. Uh, they're, they're the kind of three that we've done. Uh, I dare say there's a fourth one, but they're, they're the kind that we do. Now, I all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I, given the nature of Australia and what's happening out there, we need to do church planting by parachuting because... There aren't regional churches from which you can bud. <laughs> you, 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 just the reality is you have to do it. Uh, and so we want to manage the way it's done to give you the best chance to pull it off. Uh, the mother-daughter kind of bud is very healthy and very powerful. There's a danger with that kind of church planting. The danger is that all you do is duplicate or replicate the culture of the mother. And one of the dangers that if you've got a mother church that is vibrant and growing and you bud it, it will probably work. But if you've got a mother church that's probably plateaued, budding it won't work. All you'll do is take the culture that no one was wanting to go to and <laughs> reproduce it somewhere else. Uh, it's interesting, again, using the Sydney scene, there was a, a report written some 12 years ago out of the NCLS stuff which indicated that the church plants in the Sydney Diocese weren't reflecting the power of church planting operating elsewhere. That is, one of the powers of a church plant typically is that it's high, it has a higher number of newcomers proportionally than an established church, um, higher number of young people, uh, and it reaches new community groups. And in typically church planting, you find those things overrepresented in comparison, except the city diocese and church plants weren't as strongly indicating those things. I suspect that's because there are a lot of budding church plants happening out of churches that themselves weren't vibrant, driven churches. Um, so when we started, you know, parachute in, we just rewrote the whole thing, reworked the whole thing, and worked hard to be a culturally engaged church for the Central Coast. So... There was a lot of practices I just, I just dropped. 
um, you know, non-theological ones, uh, style of dress. We got rid of the, the whole tone from where the churches I'd been in was, you dress up one step from the culture around you to show respect, and we just dumped that. And, and I just wore shorts, thongs, T-shirt to preach. Um, that's a small thing, and I don't want to make too much of it, but it was, it was an expression of an attempt to be, we're going to be different. We're going to connect to a beach culture that we want people to feel like this is not like they've done church before. And so some of the things were, I think were quite important and powerful. Um, so, yeah, you need, to, you need to watch the pros and cons of each style of church and manage them to make the best work of them. We planted a mother, we planted a daughter church some years ago now, the Lakes Evangelical Church, and I deliberately sent them off and had no hand in it to, to give them space and room to be what they needed to be in the context they were in. So they did some things very different to what we were doing. I think that was important for them. Yeah. Uh, how much do we have an ongoing influence with the churches we're, we're planting? We've done both. So uh, the Lakes Church, the influence that we have with them is purely through regular connect, friendship, um, partnership and various other wider works that we do together. I have nothing to do with their church management, leadership, um, strategy, except, you know, beyond conversations that might happen. Um, but we're doing another church plant that will be a campus of EV 20 minutes away. So the one south from us will be under our governance structure, I think very much like Trinity does, so it'll be part of that network. So, so why the different roads? Um, with the Lakes one, I was at a time and stage of life where I didn't have the. I knew I would be the sticking point for growth elsewhere if it was under my leadership, and so I wanted, I wanted to free it to have the energy and drive to do what it would do bigger and better than I could do with it. And that's you know that's seven years ago or six years ago, and I was just I was snowed under with this work with four young kids trying to build capacity, managing conflict, all that kind of stuff. I was, and we're planning elsewhere. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And so I knew that I would be the, impet I'd be the, you know, the sticking point for it. Whereas we're at a point now that we have lots of structures in place that create capacity and efficiency. So we've built a whole staff structure that's scalable and reproducible. And my perception is that we can plant more quickly 20 minutes south of us if we just take EV, plonk it down there with all our structures in place and run it from a distance. We'll grow much more quickly. So it's the pragmatic of what will make the biggest impact the most quickly, yeah. Managing your situation and circumstance, who you are and where you're at. Yeah. Now I'll tell you in uh, two years' time whether it worked. I think it will. You know, we've already got a core. See, we've got a core group of thirty adults already from our church. There are crowds of people down. This is a group of forty thousand people, a region of forty thousand people. There are people waiting for us to start. It will start with all our ministries in place. How do we build capacity in the early times, which set foundations for where we're at at the moment? Um, if I could go back, one of the things I would do differently would be to set clearer expectations and roles for volunteer congregation members in the church. Um, the, we do much more of that now and it's far, far more powerful. So what, what task are you being invited to do? What will it look like? What will be the responsibilities? What will be the time commitments? Uh, what will be the reporting processes back with us? Expectations, all of that. Uh, we are better now and wanting to get better and better at because it actually empowers people. Um, we didn't do enough of that back in the early days and it brought us problems five years down the path. That's why I had no time left for the lakes um, because I was, I was trying to manage a whole bunch of people that we'd... When, when you're in a church plant, you haven't got... You're having to take more risks. You're having to let people come into ministry that you wouldn't ordinarily in an established church because you've just got no one and you have to get it going. And it's one of its powers as well because you enable growth much more quickly. Uh, you, there's, a, there's a growth control continuum. The, the more you control a ministry, the lower its growth. The less you control it, the higher its growth. But the less you control it and the higher its growth, the more anarchy <laughs> is built into the system and you don't know where it's going and what's going to happen, but it grows, it's powerful. And so you want to dial it somewhere in there, yes? 
established churches dial it back further and further and further, which stifles growth. Church planting enables you to actually dial it back the other way and get some growth flowering, but it brings with it potential dangers and problems. Um, now we had it, we, we're, we're going for it, we're letting it, you know, but I was a fairly firm, strong presence in the pulpit and in the leadership that I was confident it would never run away from me. Um, so you've got to work out again who you are, how much control you let go of. I was able to do a bit, take more risks, I think, than some. Um, but we would, we would build in much more... Uh, you, you know, you're taking on the role of um, music coordinator or something like this, magnification is what we call it. Uh, let's, let's put down some notes of what that looks like and what, how you'll engage with me over that and what the expectations are and so on. We would have done much more work of that uh, back in those days. We should have. Staffing. We were careful not to staff ministries that wouldn't build capacity and bring money. Um, it's crass, but if you want to build capacity in church, you need to raise more money because that's how you fund ministry staff. So do not... No, oh, that's too strong. In most circumstances, I would never put on... The second staff member would never be a youth minister because youth work doesn't make money. You know, you can have 300 young guys come into a youth ministry and they don't have a cent between them. Do you know what I mean? And so if you invest, if you put your second staff worker there, you won't, you'll take a long time before you actually build a foundation, a financial base to put any more staff on, do you see? And so I, we had a lot of pressure to put on a youth worker and I fought it and fought and said, no, we're not doing it. The Constitution says I hire and fire. <laughs> I'm not doing it, not doing it. And, uh, and the first staff member we appointed was a, um, what we call the maturity ministry mission guy. So we put on a guy to work in training and developing the maturity work and together with me, we worked on the mission work because that's where our base would grow from to have the finances to put on the youth worker, which is where it turned out. Does that make some sense? So one of our church plants that just immediately comes to mind, they were quick to put on a children's worker. We, we have a, a ministry staff leadership structure that's independent somewhat of the governance structure. You ready for this? We've we got two umbrellas of church. This is the spiritual thing called EV Church. This is the um, um, secular incorporated um, association. Now, this, this, um, this is called EV Church Inc. This is called EV Church. Now, it's important to separate those two because... The mistake lots of guys make, I think, is that they, they mix up the, incorporate, the, the legal structure with the spiritual structure. The two are separate. EV Church is not its constitution. It's not its property and financial management. <laughs> EV Church is a community of people around the word of God under pastoral oversight of leadership. That's what EV Church is. But we had to set up a secular incorporated association to provide the platform to facilitate EV Church. Did you see that? Very important. And it's, it's every new member who comes on a church council, this is the church council, you might call it a parish council or something like this, but um, every member who comes on, a, I have this conversation and I say, you are not the leader of EV Church. You are responsible as a director of the incorporated association that facilitates the ministries of EV Church. Um, this group here is elected by the membership every two years. Um, it has responsibility, as I say, for property and finance. It's quite explicit in the constitution. And so uh, budgets come through them... Um, responsibility for process, anything that intersects with the legal structures of our community, 
this group's responsible for. Anything that we could get sued over, this group's responsible for, you see. That's basically what they're there to protect us from. That's why you set up an incorporated association, actually. Um, you could operate as a volunteer association, but um, I'm talking to a bunch of lawyers, but you can set up a, if you set up just a volunteer group of people, you can run a bank, you can have a employ staff, you can do all of that. You're just wide open. If any suit comes against you, every member of that community is personally liable. <laughs> so am I right? you, you set up an incorporated association to limit liability. That's why it exists, okay? Um, and that's what that group there's for. Now, uh, this is a, a democratic, um, they, you know, it's consensus rule, majority rule, all that kind of deal. I'm the chairman, the senior minister is the chairman of that group by constitution, um, but only has one vote in it. I can't vote on um, pay for ministers and so on. When you come to the spiritual EV church itself, uh, I, I'm the um, benevolent dictator, <laughs> if you like. Uh, I can be removed by the membership of the incorporated association with a 75% vote. But, but basically, I hire and fire staff. Um, I make all the decisions of the spiritual matters of the church. Anything pertaining to the spiritual life of the church, I make decisions over now, you'd be a fool to operate like that, wouldn't you? Do you see? So I work at being consultative and working in partnership and so on and so forth. Um, there you go. That's a little bit of our... There is the governance structure of our church. Yeah. So the staff... Now, actually, you notice there's an intersectant. So there are some spiritual things that have implications in this realm and we have to manage that process between the two groups um, the staff team then they're employed by the senior minister and paid for by the church council did you see they're not employees of EV Inc they're my employees funded and paid for by the incorporated association we, we then have a um, we run a matrix structure. Now, look, I could talk about church all day. Do you want to go through this very briefly? Think it'd be worthwhile? Okay, let me let me give you some sense of it. There are a few ways you can structure church. You can do the the um, you know if you've got um, you've got five services. You know you've got uh, uh, ten thirty, eight thirty. Actually, why am I putting it over there? Let me put it over here. You've got ten thirty. 8.30, the way Typically the way you can structure it is that you have a, 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 a you know, pastor for each congregation. Yeah? Now, my conclusion, and so, now you, this is my personal views here. This is not Geneva Push, this is not anything like that, right? My personal view is this is one of the reasons we have limited and stifled our growth. One of the reasons I think evangelical churches don't grow beyond 150, 200 in each congregation is because we've set it up to be a pastoral model where the congregation knows its pastor. One man can only pastor 150 people, 200 people, so it stops at 150, 200. Anyone who comes beyond that size of pastoral care just bounces out. That's my personal view. So I was determined at the beginning of EV to not use that model but to set up a different model. And so we've run the purpose-driven model which is a series of M's. So you've got magnification, uh, membership, maturity, ministry, and I know you can't read any of that, but let me explain what I mean. Um, what we've... Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, Magnification. Is, is the work of ensuring that all EV Church runs quality services that magnify the Lord in word, prayer, deed. Membership is incorporation. So it's, it, well, it's three things. It's connecting people into church, it's caring for people in church, and it's building community in church. 
It's all that kind of community life. Maturity is growing in the word and prayer. Ministry is training in ministry, being recruited into ministry. Mission is reaching the world for Christ. My perception is in church life, now we're moving beyond church planning, but I think it applies to church planning very importantly. My perception in church life is that when you think about the mature church, most of us would agree that all five things are necessary to be happening in a mature church. You want to have a church that's not just teaching the Bible and praying, but a church that actually engages with each other in membership family life, that has people who are serving each other in ministries, that are reaching the world. Yeah? Most leaders that I meet, me included, have the capacity for three of those things at most, usually two. That is to say, most of us have an excitement about Bible reading, teaching people to grow theologically and prayerfully, and maybe ministry. We love getting people involved in ministry. But when it comes to community events, i just got no energy left. I can't keep that going. When it comes to meeting new people and incorporating them into church life, I'm too busy running the growth groups. i got no energy for that. Mission, every time I go to a conference... I come back with a new enthusiasm for it, but after six months, I've lost it again. Or I was in a church where the guy was passionate about maturity and mission. They were his two big things. He never did magnification, membership, or ministry training, except he'd been to a conference. Because you want to have a healthy church, and my view is that it's total quality product, comes from the business world, but not bad for that. I think churches that have the total product and it's good quality right through these five areas, people are excited about church life and they're infectious and they want to get engaged with others. If you're just a two-dimensional church, people go, yeah, it's right, it's good, it's evangelical, but they're not excited. So I want to make sure all five things are happening. How do you do that? Well, we've created champions for each spot. Um, now, we're, we have 23 staff, so we're in a position that most churches aren't in. But we now have a staff member over each spot. Okay? And their job is to champion each part of this five-fold work. So we have a full-time guy whose job... So on and so forth, Okay? Now, in the early days, what we did was we started with this structure and got volunteers, or as staff members came on, we gave them two hats. So my first staff appointment was the guy who looked after that and that. I looked after this with him, and we had a volunteer do this and this. And slowly we built up the church and put more and more. What it means is that when you come to our church... All five things are humming, did you see? And they never drop off the radar because I don't drive them. <laughs> so this guy here is always working at membership and making it work. Okay. Now, how do you work that with five services? This is where we run a matrix. We, we, the guy who's looking after music, Sunday services, he gets to about two services and he runs out of steam for the third. How do you make sure he keeps working into the third? Well, you put someone here. We don't call them pastors because that, I think, um, confuses everyone. We call them focus leaders. And so each of these services is a focus and we have a focus leader for each one. And their job is to make sure that all these five guys are doing their job in their focus. And so you end up with... This twofold matrix that drives the work in each service. There's much more to it, but there's a quick rundown on how it goes. My view is that the power of this is that instead of running church according to programs, that is, we make sure the growth group structure is working, instead of running the church according to the program of growth groups, 
you run growth groups according to the purpose of maturing people. Do you see the difference? The growth groups are driven by a greater concern because all growth groups is, is a strategy. It's not an end in itself, do you see? And, and this guy here, his job is to make sure that we don't think it's a, it's a purpose, it's, it's an end in itself. It's for the purpose of maturing us. And he keeps finding new ways of maturing us, do you see? And he does it all the way through church life. Yeah. I'll tell you the thing that immediately comes to mind. We, we start at Saturday EV, one of the congregations in the, in the centre. We started that three years ago. And let, the first thing that comes to mind is the pain. Um, the, the brief given to the focus leader for Saturday was, we want you to reach a community of the Central Coast that we aren't reaching in our other services. And he said, Andrew, to do that, I'll have to do it differently. Go for it. There was a huge amount of grief because the things that he did differently, all the other surfaces felt condemned by. They felt like he was saying of them that you're not doing it properly, you're not doing it well, you're not doing it as good as it could be done because he changed things. And I had to spend a lot of my time helping everyone else settle down. He's not giving up on the gospel. <laughs> It's okay to have differences. Uh, it'll settle down to do all of that process. So I guess what I'm suggesting is if you bud from a mother church, you need to have a considerable amount of communication with the mother church about what you will change, why you're changing it. The senior guy on the other mother church needs to have the readiness to allow people to do things differently, to feel some threat in that but still let it go. Um, there needs to be care about the bud church not being like the immature teenager, I think I, Sue was saying something like this, the immature teenager who wants to rebel and thinks they are better than the parents and know how to do it really, you'll get that vibe and it's probably immaturity but we're all grown up, it's okay, we're, none of us are perfect, we've all got to get older and more godly. Yeah. There's, there's some quick thoughts for you, yeah.